Namaste and in La Catch, and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefiel, and this week's guest is a really brilliant gentleman that's making some waves in the regenerative community and sharing that knowledge and wisdom with the world. It's Dr. Daniel Christian Wall. He's originally trained as a biologist, and he holds degrees in biology, holistic science, and natural design. He's the author of Designing Regenerative Cultures, and he just recently, in 2021, was a recipient of the Royal Society for Arts Bicentenary Medal for Regenerative Design, and in 2022, he became a Volans Fellow. Daniel, great to have you here. Namaste. Glad to be there. Thank you for the invite. Uh, it's been a while, right? We've been trying to arrange this for almost a year now. Yeah, you've been very patient with me. <laughs> Patience is a virtue, they say, right? Um, and it teaches us a lot, too. So in the beginning of your life, you know, we explore uh, how we get in touch, the connections that we have with everything as a child that sometimes we recognize and sometimes we don't until later in life. Did you have that kind of experience when you were younger, where there was something more that was internal that um, kind of set you apart, or at least made you think, gosh, I may not fit in with everybody else? <laughs> well, I think um, I was recently asked something similar, and in, in the conversation, it evolved. Like, I remembered a conversation I had with my brother when I was, I think I was nine years old. So it would have been 1980. And we were living in Munich and this is the middle of the Cold War. And Germany is the strategic battlefield for both the East and the West mm -hmm. for a possibly imminent Third World War. Like the same sense of we're in the middle of collapse and this might be it. Um, that we now have with regard to cascading environmental problems and, and repolarization on so many fronts that you can't believe it. In that time, it was really real that any minute some idiot could press a button and that would trigger a chain reaction that um, would mean the end of civilization as we know it or the, uh, this Gaia as we know it. And um, and that's scary for everybody. That generates planetary fear, right? How so, do we so, deal with that? Yeah, I mean, what I find so fascinating is the, the, the work that my my mentor and friend, Joanna Macy, has done throughout her very long and blessed life. Um, she actually got into what is now the work that reconnects or was deep ecology. And before that, um, her workshops were called the Span uh, Empowerment Workshops. And they were quite literally about that journey from accepting the despair that we all carry for how ridiculous we're treating each other and the planet. Mm -hmm. No, you want to think that's that that the empowerment to begin to change it. Um, so anyway, yeah. sure. so so for me, I think just to come to the point to your question, um, seeing through that conversation and through that imminence of a nuclear holocaust that my species was nuts, or at least the narrative that my species was stuck in was nuts, um, made me 
very quickly understand I somehow don't fit in. And and nature has like I, the other thing that that helped me I, be, I believe is the privilege that my grandmother lived in Italy, but I grew up in Munich, and I spent a lot of my time with my grandmother. So from zero years onwards, I knew that two cultures existed and that two climate zones existed. And, and I could question, why do people want to live in Munich if you can live by the Mediterranean? And that's probably why I now live on the Mediterranean island. Um, mm. But this, this connection to the sea and, and, and um, I think it's always been the ocean first and then the forests that, that made me understand that I'm a dynamic expression of a larger transforming even if you you can't like giving it a subjective is dangerous because it's a process right, uh, right. because once you label it then you're stuck right it, the, you've self-limited what it could be now one of the things i like and i forgot to mention earlier that you're also the head of innovation design for guy education and, and i i noticed one quote on there that from uh thich Nhat Hanh that you know realize that you are the earth Right? These are something, you know, when you think of it, we're made of stardust, right? However, once we are born, all of our material being comes from the earth. So in, a, in that purest sense, we are the earth. How do we not get that? And I think this is what you're speaking. You know, how why would you want to live in Munich if you could live on an island in the Mediterranean? Because you're much closer to that natural environment and for me i you may agree with this what do you let me ask you a question instead no but let me just briefly get good because it's an interesting point that um, that in our finding deep access to our larger being and our resting in our nature as nature mm -hmm. for most people it is in wild more or less untouched, unspoiled, natural environments. But notice the language. Yeah? That sets up a dualism. And when you talk to people about reconnecting with nature and they live in cities, they say, this is not for me. I, I, I'm not privileged enough to move to the Mediterranean. I'm not privileged enough to do a retreat in Costa Rica, like is the fashion at the moment. No. Um, Anywhere, like if it, like Goethe has been a great inspiration for me, the, the, the German poet scientist from some years ago. Right. He, um, he said, he who sees, he, he who doesn't see nature everywhere sees her nowhere in the right light. Well, that and, leads to the question I was going to ask. Is there this emergent natural order within us that connects us to that, no matter where we are? that connects us to that natural being that we are. And if so, then how can we integrate that or discover it first and then be able to expand it in our own being so that it doesn't matter whether you're a city dweller or a rural dweller? Is that part of what you see happening in this activity that you're involved with and, and especially in the regenerative communities? Yes and no. I mean, in the sense that um, 
having become a father late in life I'm, I'm, and has made me understood how easily people can get trapped in little spiral wheels of just wanting to provide for this being that is just enchanting them. And, and then there's life conditions, educations where the app just gets them in this. And, and it's okay because they, they love this being so much. And so for me, it's, it's this, um, like the, the currently we have this, oh yeah, everybody's going to have a consciousness expansion and, and the personal development is going to save the, um, the world. And, and I, I feel like maybe if we really are all of this, then all the turmoil and all the suffering that each and every one of us is experiencing in their own version, whether they're millionaires or in a slum, um, is partially also an expression of how messed up we've started to relate to each other in this planet. And, and for me, the, the, the job is to ask the deeper questions because I have no answers. Um, and that's the important help people that I think, um, the, the questions. Yeah. But it's, yeah, the, the questions are, are we asking the right questions? What, what, like, is even the personal development project, like Nora, Nora Bateson rightly says, watch out with this personal development thing because it puts the onus on the individual again. But there are collective structures, like structural violence in the system. And there is narrative pressure and media, media power and all of that, that and, and even just taking on language as a form of shaping reality. And we've all done that. Well, and Nora I, does I some see. great work with her form yeah. data labs too. Yeah, but which is which is saying that the real juice is in the but the relationships between the boxes that we have filled with cold data for so long. And now we think that AI will solve all of our problems by making that data relate to each other. But no, it's it's all in the, the the soft, unquantifiable, uncollectible intelligence that is in the relationship of the whole that we're expressions of. I so could see it as much scattergrams, right? Where you and this is something that just occurred to me. Oh gosh, within the last week or ten days, it, it was an amazing revelation. I, I suppose that each one of us is kind of like a scattergram, and that when you begin layering it on top of each other that some of those dots line up and that's where those connections take place that move us into being able to understand how to better use AI, how to understand where personal development takes us to, which only goes to a certain point. It's, you know, because you've got to include others in the planet too. As I talk about, <clears throat> you know, how do we establish harmony among people and planet? Well, we first have to be in harmony within ourselves. That doesn't mean that chaos doesn't exist. It means that we're able to manage the patterns or the energy better because we're not attached to it. That's where the personal development comes in. Then you move into the community space is, okay, who else is here and how can we learn how to get along better and do the things that are necessary to help us not only survive, but thrive as a planetary society as we move forward because we've got the capability to do so. We have all the resources, the tools, the techniques, 
everything's there. It's just rediscovering it like you've done with the regenerative community kind of uh, development and asking the questions that lead us to that. I tell you that on my, exactly what you just described in my personal relation, experience, there have been times where I felt so much more capable of um, staying in connection with source and being in balance with everything that I was doing that I, for example, am, am right now. And um, it's actually surprised me how, like, I'm suddenly sort of going, oh, like, back to square one. It feels in many in many ways um, of rediscovering. In a similar way, I I need to make finish this point. Let me let me just. Mm -hmm. I sometimes have longer answers, uh, but 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 because I try to weave a couple of things together. Sure. The, because you also spoke about the collective process, and I spent almost uh, at least twelve years, if not longer, um, very connected to Global Eco Village Network and and the Eco Village Movement. Visited a lot of eco villages, lived in Finton, ran Finton College for four years, and and also there I th had moments where I thought we have it all together. And then you begin to actually see that even these pioneering eco villages have these phases of functioning and humming in synergy and synergy in a way that you kind of go, wow, this is the, the new earth that we're talking about. And then 10 years later, it's not always three steps forward. It's sometimes four steps back and the whole thing seems to be dissolving and dysfunctional and whatever. And, yeah. and then it, it gets reborn. And that's what I was trying to nuance out is that both those stories are right. But why questions? Because when we take those stories and personal development or collective development as the solution, <laughs> and we then think we have it, that's where I think we lose it. Again. Well, that's where we get in trouble. Absolutely. You know, that's where you get, you're back in a box, yeah. right? You may not recognize it initially, and yet it's a box because there's this open, what we seek is flow, right? Which is the movement within each of us that bring us together that serves a greater purpose that we may not recognize until we actually come together and ask the questions that allows it to emerge mm -hmm. right and that's i think that's kind of what you're saying that, that's why in, in in designing regenerative cultures like that when i now look at it that the sentence that is kind of repeated almost ad nauseum is living the questions together as right. as the core process to generate a regenerative culture and and i think that's also that's why the book has 250 questions and and increasingly like when i look at it now in 2016 the book was published the book was written in 2014 and 15 or more like 2014 it was in a long editing process actually um and at that point i was a lot more positive about us making it through the eye of the needle as i am now but that doesn't mean that so much that is explored in the book, and particularly this living the question, is increasingly what I'm thinking is what is most needed to build the capacity of. Because I think we're moving towards a world where almost any solution, any pattern, any structure around us that we have taken for granted and are basing our 
this is the terra firma on which I have angle points and can operate as a being in life, is going to transform, collapse, evaporate around us in a relatively short period of time. And so we need to refine the capacity. And after like the polarization of Trump and COVID and all of those kind of things, it's it's vital that we find new ways of holding diverse opinions and diverse perspectives collectively to find wisdom informed by many points of view. Well, it's kind of like we got the rubber band, band stretched, right? With the sequestration and the obsession on self-hygiene, which also gave the opportunity for people to examine themselves in that process. Because who are you going to talk to when you're by yourself? Right. <laughs> Deep conversations that, that emerge from that place. And then that natural, you know, kind of coming back together with different questions, better questions, um, questions we've never thought of before. Now, do you think that this process also, and you were speaking to, of being detached from the materialist and reductionist point of view, which is what's driven the bus for quite some time. And now we're looking into, especially in the exploration of consciousness, a non-local mind that actually feeds us in some way when we ask those questions that we don't have answers for. This is why I was kind of, I, I really think that the entire conversation about AI is laughable in its overprojection of what amazing capacity is being built there. Oh, yeah. when, you, when, when you look at every single relationship between all that is alive within a transforming living planet and that planet's relationship to other planets and the transforming living universe, and the information that is stored in that NI, natural intelligence, that is the warm data between all of us, between the stories we tell, between the worlds we bring forth and then coalesce like, like gas clouds coalesce into a star uh, in, or into a planet. Uh, um, we coalesce around narrative and then suddenly that reality pops up and actually exists. And, and um, so we need, we need to be able to step back enough to um, understand that we're trapped in narrative. And the only way we can do that is by leaving the questions together. <laughs> Which changes the narrative because the emerging answers are discussion points that take us to a, a new level of coalescence, hopefully, and then collaboration planetarily with what we're able to determine. AI will give us the opportunity as a tool, right, used wisely, and, and it, takes away, not takes away, it utilizes our intelligence in ways to manage data and the movement of it to a much greater degree than we've ever had before. Now, well, how we um, interpret, use, integrate, and then transform that data into applicable uh, systems, a greater thoughtmosphere of activity, then we're able to, do you see this as being an evolutionary process within um, 
both the physicality, the, the planetary capacity that we have in, in how to affect it, and the, and the ability that we have of rising above in order to create what's necessary. The reality is I want to lead with not knowing. And therefore, I need to be transparent that I am possibly completely and utterly biased with my somewhat non-impressed with all this techie stuff that comes out of, out of California, despite the fact that I, I, it's amazing that we can talk on, on this. Right, platform. it is part right. of it. Right? Yeah, but but I have this, this um, similar conversation channel on YouTube where I just talk to people that I want to talk to anyway and think, this conversation could be interesting for other people and, and I upload it and it's called Voices of the Regeneration. And one of it that you might enjoy is, is, is the conversation with Dennis Meadows, which is the only one that I put white shirt on and, 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 and tried to kind of go, oh, Mr. Professor Meadows, I better, I better give him the honor of, of treating him as a professor. Yeah? Sure. And, and he really, a little bit professorial, but in, a, in kind of a loving and caring way, took me to town about my realism about these regenerative cultures that are still possible. And this whole, like we still haven't really learned what people were working on in the 1960s when Jonas Sark was working on Epoch B. Yeah? Um, and then later all the modeling that came together and then was published under the 1972 pub published Limits to Growth. This entire resource and energy basis for the kind of fancy techno stuff that is supposed to ride over the hill and save our bacon might just run out of juice before it's saved our bacon. And mm -hmm. how would we employ, if, if we assumed that we've run, like Bucky Fuller called it, the starter tank, of, the, the, the starter engine of Spaceship Earth. And if we run that starter engine down to a point that it is Basically, we're running on fumes and we have, let's say, 5, 10, 15, 20 years left and X amount of energy and resources left to build the technological structure that would support a far less technological civilization than the one that, that we're envisioning. Mm -hmm. How would we, like if we accepted collapse and limits truly, and we accepted that we need to get out of the way of the rest of the community of nature to bring back the vibrancy of this planet and re-green the like. Re like looking, the, do you the think forest. it's looking Just, for the redundancy? Let me, let me I'll finish this question briefly because sure, it, sure. I, I know I go on for too long. I'm sorry, um, but, but don't be. Would we not do things completely differently if we finally said? If there's a limited amount of energy and resources that we can now invest into building bioregional capacity to live like our indigenous ancestors have done on every continent apart Antarctica, um, within not just within the limits of that local ecosystem, but as custodians that knew how to be positive effects on the landscapes they inhabited, like the the work of Lila June that has just come out with her PhD research. Um, where she shows that Native Americans have literally gardened, into, like like one, one line by her that I love is like, people always say the Indians followed the buffalo, no, the buffalo followed, uh, followed the Indians. Uh, it's, it, it's a dynamic landscape use design that, that truly made 
um, a living, vibrant ecosystem. And we're, we're capable of that, but but if well, even their philosophy it, it will save us, I don't think we are. I, th I, I think it's Elon Musk is is on a hype train. Well, when new things come up, we obsess on them, right? And we yeah. take them to their what we think their logical conclusions are. Uh, your mention of the Native American ways and, and even that ancient philosophy of indigenous people includes something else that most western westerners or western thinking folks have never considered that we have three brains not one we have the gut the heart and the head they've all got and now science demonstrates they've all got neurosensors in those places as well and that the gut were connected to all the vibrations we all know now through quantum physics that everything's vibration so how do we connect with that well through the gut then we filter it through the heart does it resonate does it not resonate then we take it up to the head and make choices as to what to do with it or ask questions to further understand it now what i've heard is that we actually use the head mainly to tell narratives yeah. about the choices that the gut right because we live from here on. up like it, it all is intuition here. anyway, and then it gets rationalized afterwards. Yeah, but we yeah, think yeah. that it's also cleverly thought out, rational, analytical decision making and strategy, and that's actually not the case. Right, right. Now, back to <laughs> talking about systems and, and structures and things. Do you think that you you know you were talking about the fallback to what's left, right? And, and from after the AI has done its thing. Do you feel like the redundant systems that are in place are beneficial, just not being run with the best management in mind because it's still profit over people rather than people and planet over profit? Well, I don't think we've, I think what neoliberal globalization, economic globalization has done apart from being a much more, well, not much more in terms of numbers and, and impact, possibly much more brutal colonialism than the first wave of colonialism, is, is that- well, it, and it's been done in the shadows, you know. Yeah. Um, and it has killed redundancy out. in every place, like even powerful economies, like I come from Germany originally, Germans, the, the, the Wirtschaftswunder of Germany after the Second World War was, small and medium-sized enterprises that were proudly producing in the region for the region and ended up doing it so well that by word of mouth, people said, if you want to pump bite of these guys in this little village, uh -huh. and they just ended up making the world's best pump for that volume of whatever. Uh -huh. And all those kind of companies have been under pressure to globalize and, and, Create because there's more demand. Let's build factories in China where the labor is cheap and they mm -hmm. given away know-how and everything. And, and in the same way, we have everywhere killed redundancy. Let's make it bigger. The economists come in and say, let's scale up the process. Let's build a bigger plant. And like even I live on a set of islands. There used to be an abattoir in every village, and the vegans will mention that will crucify me, but that's the culture here. Now there is an abattoir in one place and people have to ship in from other islands and it's just madness. And the same happens globally with, with almost every infrastructure. We've built large centralized 
power infrastructures that can be knocked out by an enemy, terrorism, an environmental crisis, whatever you want, in no time. And we need to rebuild redundancy into the system. And I, and I don't think we, we're doing it at the speed that, that is required because we're still loving the idea of efficiencies or economies of scale where it's not about scaling things up. It's about scaling things out in a place and culture appropriate way. Right. And the only right. way you can do that is not through solutions, through saying this is the solution, follow me, but is to say, well, here are solutions that work in other places, but you guys need to find the solution that works in your place. And yeah. here's the process. What do you think about the ISO 26000? Um, because here, you know, we're talking about manufacturing and, and the ISO 9000 standards are used ubiquitously for quality control and management and, um, and the certification of such, especially in the aerospace industry, you've got to meet those standards or you're not going to get work. The, 20, the ISO 26000 is a completely different type of, of structure because it's voluntary. It's not, you know, you pay to play. It's something that moves through a system and social media or not social, social responsibility standards. And I'm, you're familiar mm -hmm. with those, correct? But, but I find as a general statement about standards, if they're taken lightly and if the process of being able to pin that onto your company's uh, Riviera as a badge, we have this standard, we have this, we are B Corp or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, of course, it's a you get a catalog of ticking boxes of questions. Yes, we fulfill that. Well, don't we fill that? Oh, we haven't even thought about that. And that does good work. Yeah, I'm not saying that any of these certifications and standardization processes are not useful, but um, they're not regenerative <laughs> because, like, right now there's this. I'm not big so sure about that with the ISO twenty six thousand because. It is a voluntary, it's kind of a bottom-up effort where the inclusion, kind of like the B Corp where the mission, vision, and, and value proper community focused as well, it's more of the how can we be better with each other for better relationships, do better things for the world, and, and do it in such a way that it's... No, I'm with you. I'm with you on, on that, but what I experience at least is that what then happens is that something that could be seen as a humble, we are on a journey of improvement. Like I find, for example, the companies that are saying we're regenerative companies, I always kind of go, that's already a sign that you're probably not. The part companies that are saying- <laughs> we're, we're All organic, right? Yeah, the companies that are saying, our direction of travel is trying to be, make a regenerative impact on everything we do, entire, the entire supply chain. I'm going to go, oh, okay, I'm, now I'm listening. Yeah, you lear you're learning. And it's the same with these standards. It's the same with the B Corps. If it is keeps in the humility of trying to keep improving, but improving can also be an impediment to transformation. Because if you improve, like doing a bad thing a little bit better, it does not make it good. And, right. and so, so for me, the true regenerative process is a process that allows that really deeply transformational questioning of how do we fit, how do we serve, how do we sit in nested wholeness. It's, a, it's, it's very different. It understands the personal collective development is the basis of 
whatever the company is doing in the world is. Right. And, and the danger of the certification and, and standards and B Corp and whatever is that it creates a buzz, more and more people join, join up, it creates a bigger buzz, then it becomes the label that is the kind of absolution by the Pope. Ah, that's a good company because they're B Corp. Yeah? And bullshit, they're not. Like they're, they're still having negative impact, a lot of them. Yeah? Sure. Um, sure. So, and yet we hope for, you know, the, this transition, although it seems to have been gradual up through the, the last 20, 30 years, now it's gaining momentum. And even with that um, willingness to come together and learn how to work together better to do the right things, which impact our health and well-being as individuals and planet, that the more work that's focused toward that, the more sense of harmony exists and the, the greater flow happens and the time truncate, then the time truncates to actually accomplish those major goals because there's more energy uh, being directed towards it um, consciously and physically. Now, it, that's, I mean, that's an interesting, like connected to all this AI and everything we've talked uh, talking about, like the theory of change of, ah, oh, wow, the global brain is waking up to speak with Peter Russell. Like so many of us are waking up to, there's a need for transformation and there's a pathway for transformation and we need to refit into planet earth. And, and suddenly the regenerative meme or networks have bubbled up everywhere. There's recently a wonderful bioregional regeneration summit with people from all over the world exchanging about their networks that they're forming on a regional scale. Right. But, well, you and I both were involved with one of those with the rebuild as well. Yeah, all, all these impulses. But, but, but what I find for me, or maybe that might be my, my phase of life right now, I feel that my international work and being in Zoom calls and being on international strategy, blah, blah, blah groups, um, has actually slowed down a process that I was in, which was deeply grounding in this bioregion. That's why I have the, the watersheds of the world behind me, because I live on a small island that is covered by my head in the middle of this map, um, Mallorca, and I came here to do work also on the bioregional scale in full knowing that I can't change Mallorca and I shouldn't because I'm not even from there, but, but I can try to be an agent of positive conversation around a more viable mm -hmm. future. For these islands and and i'm i'm i feel the danger is that we now everybody's in new DAOs about doing this that and the other and they're all hanging out online and congratulating themselves on how they um regenerators this that and the other but they're not talking to their neighbors they're not working in their local community they still have no idea about their bioregion, where their water comes from, where their food comes from, or any of that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, it's bizarre that this virtual connecting that could be such a good sign. Well, maybe the answer is people are generally yeah. lazy and they do what's easy. And this kind of stuff is easier. This kind of stuff being the conversations is yeah. easier because you don't have to do the research. You don't have to get out and move around and do the things that are necessary in order to find, mm -hmm. uh, do the research and study 
and get the information for yourself. I'm guilty of that too. And I, I think we well, all get into the, 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 the re reality of relational being in place, both in relationship with the land you live on, the community you live in, and the bioregion that all of this takes place in. And suddenly you have to accept all that diversity. Like suddenly it's not a theory anymore. Oh yeah, we have all these wonderful processes, so sociocracy and da 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 da, and non-violent non communication and all of this to get along with each other, like in the eco-village movement and in the, the intentional community movement. And right. even there, they ultimately still argue and they just have good process to hold that. Sure. But sure. what is it when we live, when we actually take a stand where we are and we try to build relationships with our neighbors and improve the piece of land that we live on? That's where, where my energy is currently going so strongly that, that, that I'm actually trying to extract myself out of the virtual conversations right. more and more. Right. You know, there's a process that I got involved with uh, several decades, well, a couple of decades ago, with um, partnering sessions for building road, bridge, and waterway uh, national park construction. And mm -hmm. so I led uh, these sessions, could be 20 people, could be 80 people, and they were all the, the stakeholders, subs, owners, what have you, with the, the projects. And the goal was to get them all to work together better because traditionally the construction industry was very adversarial so mm -hmm. partnering was instituted in the early 90s it's now got to a point where everybody's finally got that yeah we've got to use these techniques to flush out the issues talk about them figure out what's going to be necessary to do it going in so that when the stuff comes up in the contiguous schedule right because these projects are usually two to five years and so they know when the issues are going to come up and by resolving what's going to need to be done when they happen, then there's a lot less opportunity for work stoppage, right? And, and so schedules can be truncated, profits can be made, and so value engineering, all that, all that kind of stuff. But it's still learning how to get people, places, and things to work together better, which for me was a huge advantage and just something that I love to be able to do. Now, how that evolved for me over time um and and you see in the background the live and let live we haven't talked about this yet and uh as a result of one of my conversations with the founder last january i became executive director for live and let live foundation and global peace movement um what the, those are the live and let live simple statement right two principles live and let live the live we call it the moral principle be a good human we can wrap all kinds of conversations around what that really means from both an individual, community, business, government kind of thing, right? And then the let live is the legal principle, don't be an aggressor. Long-term goal is to eliminate the laws and legislation that allows aggression of any kind. So those are two things that kind of coalesce. One's a short-term goal, works for everybody to, to come together. And, and we've got some social enterprise components that allow, you know, kind of change the nonprofit side from volunteers to actually earn and learners because you can't have peace and poverty. So we've, and we're still building this and, and 
having just getting started, you know, this is a life, I feel like I've had 47 years of prep work to go into this because I still have a lot of questions that are askable now because of the intent of the gathering to come together to figure out how we can do this. And it's possible, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm right to the old Latin phrase, vocatus atque non vocatus du sedere, you know, invoked or not, God's watching. <laughs> so how does that come across to you? Did you have, and I was going to ask if you knew uh, Matthias DeMott too, um, who in his interview with Tucker Carlson said, you know, really all we're looking for is empathic resonance. And I see that equating to loving and being loved, first of all. I mean, how does that Living that live is like it's a wonderful summation suggestion of how to live in right relationship. Mm -hmm. And like California or my neighboring island, Ibiza, or this sort of trendy, privileged world of like people were part of whatever Nexus Global, like the folks that are inheriting hundreds of millions from the, their previous generation anytime soon. They're all now into yoga and they're into personal development and they're into regeneration and stuff. And uh, wonderful, great. And where in that way of live, you can quickly create a live for you that is still so ultimately not letting live because it is impossible for 8 billion people to live that lifestyle. And so, as you would say, poverty and-, and If they're and not aggressing on each other and they allow each other to live, because I have no right to tell you how to manage your mind, body, money, property, right? And we need to have that kind of reflective capacity to where we allow others the same space. Yeah, but what if our way of living is perpetuating structural violence that is not letting other people live? Because the narrative from the global south is that you and I, white guys with an education and the privilege we've had in our life, rightfully should question where all that privilege comes from. Because if you open up the historical timeline of this, the universities that were founded in Europe were founded on the excess generated by the first wave of colonialism. So right. you have the time to sit under an apple tree and go, whoops, uh, and, and develop a theory of gravity because somebody was expo being exploited somewhere, to put it crudely. Uh -huh. And 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 For so sure. it's, it's like, as we are, like you mentioned Tidnatan earlier, um, Tidnatan asking what's the most important thing we can do, or being asked what's the most important thing we can do um, at this point in time. And instead of saying, sit on your sofa and meditate, he said, it's to hear the sound of the earth crying within us. I have actually felt that the, and to the extreme in a um, workshop I was in in Vegas 25 years ago. Uh, I had this amazing experience of feeling like I was connected with the earth and, it was, and she was just pouring this... Uh, I was bawling like a baby and, mm. and, and, you know, just feeling this welling up of sadness, of mourning, of distance, you know, and, and um, it was quite an amazing experience. And yet 
you know, here we are now where there's this opportunity to understand what you're talking about and, and recognize that there's this potential that we have for going both directions, right? For really expanding and also constricting ourselves because of, of our desire for expansion. And how do we handle that? How do we get to this conversation of that's intellectually humble and psychologically safe, first of all, to where we can share these things and be open and vulnerable in the discussions? How do you see that coming a, a, about? Because that's one of the things that we're working on in, in creating lounge activities for the Live and Let Live movement. Mm. Well, again, like leading with not knowing, is it because it's it's weird when you get invited for interviews and it seems like whatever you have to say is important, but I don't know whether what I have to say is important anymore. Um, but my theory of change is, like I used to work a lot with the way of counsel and solo time in nature and like nature-based rites of passage work with young adults. And, um, and then I thought that working on this sort of systemic view and communication of uh, another world as possible um, was serving more effectively. And the paradoxical thing is that seven years later, books been successful, still being translated in new languages. I, I still get called up to be the voice of hope and, and like, oh yeah, there are regenerative ways to keep propping up technological current economic system civilization. And I'm just not there anymore. Um, and I'm coming back to council is important. Everything is going to crumble around us. And there's a reason why this has survived as a sacred technology since we were regenerative presences on earth, all of us, our ancestors, uh, because we are all indigenous in some way or another, we're indigenous to life. And, and so these old sacred technologies, and, and yes, some people might say, oh, this is appropriation of a white guy. And I don't think it is because it's life's inheritance to use these techniques. And, and I, in answer to your question, how do we get to all these things is to build local community groups and regional councils of community groups that ask the question, how can we live in right relationship with each other and this place. Mm -hmm. And that is fractal place here, right. my community, my region and the world. I think the whole concept of a nation state that in your country has been so in order because it's a recent country, it's all about, I'm an American. I, it's, it's so obsolete. It's a social construct of the last 200 years that was created in the power over era. And of course we're gonna have a long line of storytelling because we've had history. Well, it's funny how America was actually created by a bunch of outcasts and social misfits. Yeah. Right? Because they all got expelled from Europe. It, it, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. Like I had this conversation with a friend in the Nico village once, and I said, Isn't it funny that all the people who are ready to question society to the point that they say, This is not for me, I'm going to find like minded people and build an alternative? assume that when they arrive in a place like that, that they're all th thinking and talking about the same alternative. Mm -hmm. um, they're all anarchists 
who have demonstrated that they can drop out of something and create something else, they're not necessarily the ideal people to then suddenly say, oh, we're all going to subsume under right. this way right. of being and seeing. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's possible, you know, the true anarchy, uh, understanding anarchy is just self-reliance, right? And in that self-reliance in a ubiquitous way that then these, as people step into what I term as a perfected form fit and function in the world right which is mm -hmm. totally their self being who they are what they're here to do we don't discover that much anymore what we do discover is that in this process when we do engage it that there's the opportunity for those natural systems to rise to the top of an anarchistic structure right does that make sense Completely, utterly, you just put your finger on what is, the, to my mind, at the core of regeneration. Regeneration is a self-community or team world nested process. Mm -hmm. It is there to build the capacity of people in place to find out who they are and what they're here for. To value... And that's that based in Vedantic philosophy. Yeah, uh, which is absolutely. the oldest philosophy on the planet. It's nothing new. I, I know, but anybody who sells it to you as something new, it's, I mean, it's got re in it. It's the rediscovery of ancient knowledge and a way of being. They, I mean, this is for me, the danger is exactly in this kind of, as even in our framing today, we've, we've sort of saying, are we on the brink of something that we're moving towards? And that's also a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. That brings in time in this linear developmental, we're all going some away, the march to the West. It's the same old narrative. It's just transformed. And the linear, the linear thinking is what's gotten us into trouble because we've, you know, there's another group that, that formed in, in Europe, and you may know of Perry Noppert and the Octopus Movement. Um, he's, a, he's collecting nonlinear thinkers, right, mm -hmm. to be able to talk about this kind of thing, uh, very what, much what we're talking about now. And there's also, as I mentioned earlier, the non-local, right? We haven't even begun to, we have the science now with quantum physics and discovery, and, and we've got the data. Now, what do we do with that? And how do we acquiesce to the truth that it presents, right? Because we're still linear thinkers, usually in denial or, or dismissal of those kinds of, of esoteric kind of thoughts and philosophies that we're unfamiliar with because we're so tied into this linearity in, in a physical world where we have to put, we're tied to time and money. Now, how do we, how do you see us getting beyond that? <laughs> I know, like I, my mind was going- No, almost, no easy <laughs> question, right? Well, I mean, it's almost too too material of a question because my mind was going actually in the other direction of this whole. Um, we'll take it there then. The, the relationship of the intimate and the ultimate, in the sense of Ooh, I like, like that. What, what you said, what you said earlier, like yes, of course. I mean, this is part of the narrative. I also try to bring people closer. We we are made of stardust. We are the earth. We we, we are indigenous to life life can work through us as part of a planetary being that 
that we choose to see as individuals and species, but we could just as much see it as a planetary process that has been evolving over 3.8 billion years. Mm -hmm. But that's also a narrative. And we're talking about the Vedanta, the, the, the understanding and the resting in. I mean, you wouldn't be called Zen with your first name if you wouldn't be thinking about these things. Um, of this is not us. We're not the people sitting here. We're not the conversations we're having. We're not the narratives we're projecting into. We're much more than that. Right. And and I so ultimately, we're, we're, not even, we're not even Gaia. Like, this is the paradox. We Like, the healthiest way of intimately embodying is to live as an integral part of Gaia in service to self, community, and world. And at the same time, to my mind, to do this wisely, you also have to be able to understand that even that is, well, the Buddhists would call it samsara, but, but is, is one way of projecting, bringing forth the world together. It just happens to be a much more harmonious, healthy, and mutually supportive world in which we can fully unfold our unique essences and individual potential, individually and collectively. The, 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 the weird path of to most unfold your individualism is in service, not Absolutely. in Absolutely. Yeah, always the law of one says you're either in service to self or service to others. And I'm like, well, no, the ultimate service to self is service to others. Yeah. Right, where everything is met with, again, back to the perfected form, fit, and function. I know that, that, and that's a vibrational space. It's not a thinking place, right? It's not linear. It, it's inclusive of all the diversity, of all the things that we can possibly imagine coalescing into a flow that brings that individualism into a collective and has it actually work toward this collaborative nature that is in that ancient being that we are right we're participatory we're, we're collaborative in everything that we do whether we recognize it or not it's the stepping back and being able to see that first of all and then allowing that to unpack in ways that it is like through conversations like ours yeah, this, I think the inheritance, like the coming home to now, to being as relational beings, is, is to recognize that simple forms like the way of counsel, like sitting around a fire in a circle, listening to each other from the heart and speaking from the heart, not intellectualizing, but speaking from those three brains that you were just talking to in, in, in a deeper way, mm -hmm. um, and listening from those three brains. That's what we've done for 90%, 95% of our species history. And that's why we've evolved to the point we've evolved. All the thing that we're so bloody proud of with our technological civilization is the, is, is the end of the carbon pulse. And a 10,000 year detour through agriculture and power over storytelling, building of city states and empires that has removed us so far from our own ancestry that we call the wisdom that has brought us here 
primitive cultures. And now we're at this point of having to, like we can wait until this mirage collapses around us, or we can say, wait a minute, how do we come back home to place as place in our own old lineage? And, and then just to put the tie in with why way of counsel and why sitting around in a circle, in every wisdom culture on the planet, you can find three questions. Like if you only want to live three questions, does it serve self? Does it serve community? And does it serve life? And that's the interesting, like when you were saying the ultimate service of self is service of the whole or the other or the Gaia or whatever you want to call it. Yes, and I've lived with, including myself, do-gooders who want to save the world and burn themselves out to the point of really falling out of balance with self and community sure. because they were so busy trying to save the planet or do good on the big scale that they forgot that this is a marathon and not a horse race. As Could you also see in. that, you know, it, it was said that we live half inside and half outside. We're bereft of the understanding of the inside. We're preoccupied and obsessed with the outside. We've taken our uh, technology, our capacity to build to the extreme now where we're finally, you know, we're going to space for crying out loud and have for a while. Now we're returning back to that. However, that's all linear material reductionist kind of thinking and acting in order and behavior um, a lot of it complementary because of the adversarial uh, nature of it in the building process, because there's competition to be first, right? And then what we have missed is that understanding of, and maybe this is part of um, the opportunity that we have now, having seen this and recognized, oh, we forgot about what's going on on the inside. There's this sense that we that is not making sense because of where we're at. And now what you and I have been talking about is the attempt to make sense and then make that sense common from an inner perspective of how we understand the nature of being. Would is that a fair summation? Yeah. The, the... The paradox that I find is that we talked about this, I think, before we started recording. Like, on the one hand, if we hold multiple ways of seeing um, lightly enough to at least give them the decency to not dismiss them immediately, mm -hmm. um, then maybe somewhere we come to the realization, as many physics, physics research seems to suggest, you mentioned work in quantum entanglement and so on, non-locality. Um, we've had, I mean, the, the, the scientific breakthrough that is the Alan Asperg experiment that demonstrates non-locality, which has not recently been corroborated in a number of other experiments, is just blowing apart the billiard ball universe that we all somehow have as our mental scaffolding because of education. And, and that means that it is entirely possible that 
matter might not be primary and have over lo long periods of time evolved to this unique situation where suddenly life appears ex nihilo and then suddenly consciousness appears ex nihilo and oh what a wonderful scientific explanation of the whole story eh? maybe it's the other way around maybe consciousness is primary and we are bringing forth a world through the way that we are conscious of our roles as co-creators of this world and and yes i do have a snowball's chance and hell hope that that might actually be true and we somehow find it in ourselves to coalesce percent with you and then take because i had in my conversation with him i uh, made the mistake of saying you know quantum physics says that we're 99 space and one percent material and he said i would say we're 100 energy mm -hmm. And when he said that, it it resonated. I had that empathic resonant, you know, moment with it. Couldn't deny it. We are, because it's all energy. And and again, this is the unfolding of the quantum physics and or the quantum mechanics model. And yet, it, you know, from a, a, the communications I've understood from elsewhere, that there are some things that we've missed. And and one of them is time is a measurement of the change of entropy that we live half inside and half outside and that we start from a point of awareness and develop our reality based on what we're able to assess and become aware of not necessarily I mean, into, yeah. and then that gives you the place of okay well how do we co-create from that place people scientifically minded people are so trapped in the the unavoidable end in the turquoise heat death of the known universe that lies at the road of the second law of thermodynamics, um, the march towards entropy, that, and, and even if it was true, it is running in timescales that you can still write a lot of love poems and operas and dances and poems and books and make love like we it's even if it was true it's still worth creating the continuing the human story but and yet it's we, like, right, the, the reality is life itself is a negentrophic force it, it is a syntrophic force the, exactly what we're trying to do in being is we we are or short period it's not even non-commensurate with the second law of thermodynamics it's it's irrelevant because in the time span that life is relevant right now here um we are creating a flow that is against the flow of entropy and re-matter energy vibrations into an, a new reality but anyway there is also the possibility that we're not going to manage to do this and that we need to in a much we have more, to acknowledge that too right exactly and in that sense and and this is where i'm somehow emotionally more at the moment is if we acknowledge that we're living in the end of this carbon pulse and the collapse of industrial technological civilization and that all this bullshit that we're going to mass, uh, mine asteroids and and find new ways of blah 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 and cold fusion has been away 40 years for 40 years and will away uh, be away 40 years in 40 years time it, it, all of that 
could also bring us to an insight of saying, how do I come home to place? How do I come home to now? How do I come home to being as an expression of this place, not an owner of this place? Uh, like the, the wonderful Rilke poem, where at the end he says, like, dear darkening ground, this was written a hundred years ago. Uh, um, dear darkening ground, you have endured so patiently the walls we've built. Maybe you'll give the cities one more hour, cloisters and churches too. And those who labor, maybe you'll give them another five hours or seven until that moment of inexplicable terror when you take back your name from all things and become water and widening wilderness again. Give me just a little more time. Give me just a little more time so I may love the things until they're real and ripe and worthy. So I may love the things until they're real and ripe and worthy. I believe our job right now is to fall in love with the places we live in and each other, real each other, not virtually. Nice conversation, wonderful. You're on another side of the planet. I want to fall in love with my neighbors and my community because there is a different energy there that we cannot create uh, even on a very nice Zoom conversation. Yeah. Um, so maybe I the next phase is learning how to biolocate and teleport. And I know we're capable of each because I've experienced them, believe it or not. Now, maybe. where they fit in, how they do it, it's still a sacred thing. And, and it happened through just the naivety and innocence of asking if it could, and then attempting and finding yes. So that experiment produced a result and uh, has several times with the exception of the teleportation and yet it's such a sacred place because you it's from that deep connected childlike place that has no malice intent ever and yet when you use it it's a force of will to engage it so there's a potential of a uh, of unintended consequences so you leave it alone now right um in the aspect of our evolution how might that or do you see that potential because there's a lot of discoveries and this may not be your area of expertise either but there's been some discoveries and and um and evidence that these kinds of things are possibilities for our future how would how might that affect this transition um see it as being so I mean, no, no, I, future I, it's really a non sequitur I, I, no I'm, I'm just wondering like the, i mean i've, I've been at points working as a futurist and looking at all sorts of possibilities, including I have not experienced teleportation, but um, I'm not saying that it's not, yeah, but it still feels to me where I'm sitting right now is putting hope in some form of solution that solves problems. Mm. And what I'm speaking about is loving things in oneself and being in the now out of the narrative that one day in the future we will become and co-create and be this yeah? 
change our way of being rather than doing, stop right. thinking that we have to change the world or, or tell other people how to live wisely and better, um, but actually change our way of being in place, as place, right now, right here, and open our eyes. And this, give me just a little more time so I may love the things for me right now is to saying, I've been telling the whole world about regenerative cultures, this, that, and the other, but what's actually going on this island, this little bit of little mountaintop in the Mediterranean that I've called home for the last 12 years and now I'm a custodian of a tiny piece of it and have planted a food forest on, on this piece of land. And now I have a deep relationship with this place that makes me start to see that every single second of every day, regenerative culture is already here. There are people loving each other. There are people taking care of the elderly, of single moms, of Ukrainian refugees recently arrived. There are other people who say, oh, the refugees and all these Moroccans, but there are also people who care. And who, people, who, the, the, and you mentioned the perfect thing, you know, to to slow down enough to be able to love, right? Yeah. Back to that natural place that I believe that we all are beyond the, the notion that we're cosmic consciousness condensed into these forms in order to share that to love and be loved. That's mm -hmm. the, the coalescence, the real piece of the being that allows the rest of it, the, the innocent thought of another, and then all of a sudden you're standing in front of them kind of thing right where it's really just this, this happened to me recently just as a to to, to prove that that the kind of non-scientific um part of what we're talking about I, I was going to a part of the island that i've only been in in 12 years maybe three times and it was because my wife is english and i wanted to surprise her with getting some english christmas um cakes that you could only get in the english supermarket of that part of the island and on the way there because my radio was broken i was sort of thinking of who are all the people that i've completely dropped a conversation with because i got busy with all the other things that i got busy with and suddenly this friend of mine alberto freile comes into my mind and i drive to this place i park my car i lock it i look over and I see somebody and I kind of go, he looks a lot like Alberto Freire. And he looks at me and goes, Daniel. And, and then I, I shared with him, I just thought of you. Eh? And he said, this is so weird. I was sitting in Santo Eugenia thinking, I don't know what to do with myself. I just go to Portales and I've not been here for years. Eh? And then he was joking. He's saying, you need to keep your manifestation and powers in check. You, you'll never know what happened. It's next right. See, that's right. the innocence and naivety that we don't yeah. consider. We just have the natural thought. We let the thoughts, part of those 70,000 thoughts we have a day, we allow them to come from that place of unimpeded flow, right? Where we're just in the moment and we allow that. Of course, there's training that goes along with it, as you've noted with you know, the meditation, the being able to be silent, to be able to sit in the moment, to qualify your energy in that place with that stillness that then allows these kinds of things to come up. And in that, just a really super example, right? Yeah, so it's been lovely. I mean, I, I do feel 
just as a sort of disclaimer that at the, at the moment I just feel really vulnerable and, and unsure and I can hear you on all these po high possibilities of where we might be going but but for, for me right now it's a sort of don't know I, I, I really don't know and and partially that the maybe what I believe is that if we get our, out of our own way, maybe even take ourselves as human beings and our uncontinued story a little less serious. If we identify with life as life so deeply that we can even let go of the need that us and our story needs to continue. Lots of species have gone extinct. Maybe we find a new relationship that is not enticed by all sorts of fancy new technologies or capabilities but by an ancient capability of just being in right relationship. And that probably means doing a hell of a lot less than we're right now doing on this busy interaction. Go down to go fast. That's a common term in organizational development right yeah. now and, and corporate management, you know, especially with the turn in how the uh, business world is completely different than it was two years ago Remote. yeah and that's basically i i am going to slow down to not go fast but to give myself the gift of creativity and and human relationships and relationship to place because i it, i've already started it but i've tried to keep the old life going and like i changed into a new life becoming a father and becoming a custodian of land. But I thought I could keep 100%, 100%, and 100%. I could keep a 300% <laughs> life going. And now I'm realizing, no, you can't do it all. You have to let there, go. There's a synergy there that can happen. And, and the release of those things that don't fit in that is what exactly. you're into, It's, it's right? not releasing it, not being radical and saying, I'm not going to do any of this work anymore. But but I do have to watch out that I, I don't... Well, you're looking um, at, again for balance. I, you know, I'm a great grandfather six times over, uh, and thank you. Um, so, you know, those kinds of considerations wow. when you get to that place. They're really pretty deep, and not often a chance to discuss things like we're doing. Right? Yeah. These are conversations that you don't have with the average guy on the street. <laughs> no, and, and, and we could. I I seem to produce them, right? My wife just my, now my wife's from St. Petersburg and she loves English cucumbers, by the way. Um she's constantly amazed at how I can go anywhere, strike up a conversation, and take it deep in a matter of a couple of minutes. And it's just who I am. And and every it always has beneficial results. People's energy, you can see they lighten up, their eyes get brighter. They feel something. I don't necessarily know what it is. And yet, you know, there's all these things and reflections. And in those 70,000 thoughts, there's this consideration. Okay, oh, I, I noticed this micro expression or this body movement. And should I ask about that? Or what's it about? And, and you know, explore deeper. Is that going to make them feel intimidated because I'm observing them so acutely? You know, that kind of stuff. I've got to be careful about that. And as a great grandfather, those considerations go internal as well, mm. right? Because I'm really looking at the depths of how I'm thinking, why I'm thinking, what I'm thinking. And yeah. 
what the purpose of it might be in order for me to reflect and then do something with. Hmm. Yeah, and in, in that process, you come across things that, like, oh, I have come across things lately where I kind of go, okay, like, um, the work's for all of us, and my work's still with me. Like, I am still a humble apprentice on the road, and, and for a few years, too many people listening to you can make you feel that you've got something to say. And there comes a point where it's also useful to just fall silent again. And um, the humility that you express and, and that I hope to as well, because that the recognition that we're nothing, right? All we're doing is we're just being a vessel. And yeah, sometimes that, so much comes through that you feel pretty burned out for a while and need to recharge. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's like putting a fire hose through a funnel, <laughs> right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I'm you gotta be careful, careful who you knock over in the process. That's, That's yeah, knocking. also like even that, like the ring pass knot, like pushing people too fast too soon, so they then scramble for oh wow, everything is changing. It's like, oh no, I can't handle this, let me get out of here. Right? But it also like finding new pathways that are then so open to demagoguery uh, because so easily somebody can offer people who've just recently become seekers after being numbed down that they didn't even know that there was something to seek for um, can easily find false prophets. And, and, and what I just want to be sure is that I didn't inadvertently, like I had a wonderful conversation with Tyson Yanka Porter on, on his podcast, The Other Other, um, where we talked a lot about how easily you can put out with the best of intentions, narratives, and memes, and then watch them be picked up, but transformed and reshaped and then used in completely different contexts. Like I there are people talking about bioregional regeneration that are right-wing preppers that hate everybody in their region that isn't from that region. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's not regeneration, uh, but, but they're still, picking up some of the memes. And, and so um, that's also made me really humble of saying, like you can, with the right intentions, trying to be of service, put out ideas that they can, if they're powerful enough, create their own dynamics and you have zero control over that anyway. And yeah, Einstein and Oppenheimer will attest to that. <laughs> that's true. So, man, we've had a, <laughs> we had a bit of a ride. Thank really you. Really cool conversation, Daniel. And I totally appreciate it and, and well worth the wait, my brother from another mother. Um, in parting, what we've said a lot, we've talked about a lot, you've offered quite a number of perspectives to consider. Is there something that you could share for? Uh, um, a day-to-day day -day kind of moment-to-moment -moment place that, that our viewers might consider themselves to take part in in order to maybe get a, a grander view of things or, or just be better humans? Well, I mean, you want me to, like, I've already given one, so I'll just remind of that one and then go offer another one. And, like, for me, the, the, that friend of mine recently called it Tri-Ethica, or the, the, the three-leveled question of how do I say, serve life? How do I serve community? 
and how do I serve myself so I can be of service to community and life in the long run? Right. And it's like the Mobius strip, right? That's a, that's a beautiful practice, and and anybody out there just with making sure that whether it's a personal an interpersonal like community or professional decision that you don't get overly excited because you have a really good answer to one of the three questions and therefore say oh this one i just don't need to ask the other two i just do it that's what really pardon my french fucks things up uh -huh. um we need to, on every important question, ask all three and have good answers for all three. That's one thing. And then I just forgot the other thing because uh, um, I have context. You mentioned context. The, the other thing is to just always ask yourself when you're thinking about something, in what context is this sitting in and what are the fundamental basic assumptions, even narratives, language that I'm using and how is the language I'm using in thinking about this changing how it's showing up? Or am I drawing a boundary of care that is only my community or America first and forget that that is an illusion. You cannot create the lifeboat perfect eco regen community while the world burns, nor can you create the powerful nation that will come up top and be fine while Gaia stops being a place supporting higher life forms or billions die continuing the obscene inequity that we've just created so it's it's a kind of like yeah that's a that's a bigger question and, uh, and a bigger practice that is not so easy for everyone because it depends on also having the privilege of education and understanding all these things are fundamentally interconnected but the basic practice of wherever you are whatever context does it serve me does it serve my community does it serve life and life there is Everyone, beyond that, human. That threefold mind. fractal it seems to be ubiquitous in a lot of different base patterns now, doesn't it? Exactly. It does. Daniel, it, it, again, thank you so much. And namaste and in la catch. Thank you for sticking with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefil, your host, and I will see you next time.